Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Alyssa, congratulations on your race at Ironman Copenhagen and welcome back to the United States. I can't believe you're already back home and back on the podcast and I can't wait to hear all about your race. So tell us all about it. Hi, Haley. I can't believe I'm back in the United States actually either because the last 24 hours have been a whirlwind, but travel actually went pretty smoothly figuratively speaking, literally the plane rides were actually quite bumpy because the storm situation on the East Coast last night was a little bit terrifying in the planes, but you know, all's well that ends well and everything was still on time and they got us where we needed to go. So that was good. And I have no idea really what day it is or time it is, but all I know is that I will be getting a lot of sleep to get back on a normal schedule this week because it has been a whirlwind, but Thank you. And yes, I did complete in Ironman Copenhagen two days ago now, I guess, three days ago, two, one and a half days ago. It was only two. <laughs> yeah, it was like one and a half. I'm like trying to think. I was like, I was just watching the tracker like the other morning. Like, so it was not, it was like one and a half days. I hope you're, I hope you're still sore. <laughs> I know. Yes, I definitely am, especially with all of the travel and like the sitting and everything else that happens. Uh, I'm definitely feeling quite sore. It was nice to get some time in the pool today to float around and to just shake out a little bit from all of that and relax and, and some of that. But this was my third time racing in Copenhagen, Haley. And this was my, I think, I still need to confirm, I guess, but I'm pretty sure this was my 32nd Ironman finish. So I'll preface you know, this, the outcome of my race with that. And so racing 32 Ironmans, I'm always happy to be adding to that number. And, you know, a finish line is, is a finish line, but 
Um, you know, it wasn't the race I necessarily feel like I have in me. I have been switching gears since last summer when I ran the long trail and we've taken, you know, a lot of time to kind of get my bike legs back, get my swimming back to where I want it to be, get my running to like the speed back and things like that. And Haley, you know how it is. Like you put together these days in training and you start to become quite optimistic when things are going well. And like, you just, you just know, like there's no other way to say it other than, you know, what the potential is for yourself that could be there. Right. And that's like the belief that drives you to keep training and racing and, and doing that. And so, you know, on paper, I think my day in Copenhagen, you know, I think even two years ago, it would have been like, oh, uh, you know, that runtime is fine, you know, and that bike time is fine. <laughs> you know, I was actually, I think a bike PR for me. And so, you know, looking at it on paper, it's, it's a good result, you know, it's solid enough, but knowing what I feel I have in me to be able to put out there, uh, I'm a little bit unsatisfied. You know, I think I'm happy with the fact that after 32 Ironmans, it's still new and like, you know, it's not boring. That's for sure. Something new is always going wrong. The race conditions are always a different environment to figure out and to troubleshoot along the way. And I'm proud of myself that definitely when, you know, that, that loop is for, for that run is for loops. And so after the first loop, the, so the first loop actually gave me some glimmers of hope. Cause I'm like, this is what I think I can do for the whole thing. And so at least I know I'm on the right track. And as things kind of started to get harder and go South and my pace was, uh, not quite where I wanted it to be as I kept running and running. Um, I did keep my head on me and I kept troubleshooting and I just kept trying and tried to find ways to stay positive and to just kind of, you know, find anything good that could come out of it. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, racing people ask us a lot, I think on the podcast, like, how do you get over a tough race or a tough kind of time? And I think, I spent a little bit of time on the, during the long trial kind of think travel, thinking about that because, you know, people are like, oh, well, you're still really positive. And I, I definitely try to be, and I am. And I think I am because one, I give my all in training. And so I do know that, you know, if I keep banging on that rock, if I keep, you know, trying to race again and, you know, I'll have my day, like it's happened before. I'll have those good days where it all comes together. And I also just know that like racing is racing, right? Like you can do all the prep in the world and you can be the most fit you want to be. But then, and that was like me going into it. Like this is probably the most fit I have ever been in my five years of professional racing going into this race where I knew the course, I knew everything I was ready to execute. Right. And then it's funny because like you look at Ann Hogg, the winner, you know, um, who we've had on the podcast, who's on an episode back in January and she went into the race being like, you know, I just need to validate my Kona spot. I just need a finish. I think she like told Torsten that when he was doing some of his ratings, she was potentially going to have to like walk, run the marathon. You know, she'd only been running for four weeks. She had no idea where her form was, that sort of thing. And then, you know, she goes out and has a banner day, like even for herself, like she was on like world record pace for the run for part of it. And like, just had this crazy fast day that she never really would have expected. Whereas I was, you know, in the opposite position and I was not having that kind of day and that's racing. And that's, you kind of have to appreciate that about sport, I think. And just kind of be okay with the fact that you're going to be on either end of that a lot. If you do race a lot and I always encourage people to race a lot because then you do get both sides of it. And I think they're both like equally meaningful and kind of help, 
you know, shape you and, and keep you going and keep you motivated in different ways. So that's my monologue. That's my opening monologue for you, Haley. <laughs> no, there's so much good insight in there. And, and I've been in your shoes, you know, where I've had some of my best training ever. And then you go into the race and it's, it's doesn't go how you planned it all. And it was, it, it's really weird. And you're like thinking what, what went wrong and trying to figure that out because it's totally unexpected. You know, you're like, wow, I've, I've been, you know, more in the, the position where you're, you know, it's, you're not as you're undercooked or you're not doing as well and you don't know how it's going to go. And that, and then if it goes bad, you're like, okay, well, I didn't know how it was going to go, but when you're really certain it's going to go well, and then it doesn't, it does. That's hard. That's really hard. So I, I can relate a little bit and I know it's hard, like you're, it's a hard position, but I think you, you have a good perspective. We've talked to other athletes who've had kind of similar stories. Like Laura Siddle is one I think about like earlier this year, we talked about her, her covers, couple races just weren't there. And then she, you know, has a breakout race like several months down the road. And I think that's how a lot of it is like progression isn't always linear and it's not always like you get in what you get out, but it's not always like in the exact same, like this nice, like parallel time frame. So I am, ho- I am very hopeful that, or, you know, I definitely believe like that training doesn't go away and your really good race is still coming and, and you have another one coming up here in a couple of weeks. So yeah, you hopefully, don't, have to wait hopefully I don't have to wait a few months. <laughs> hopefully I just have to wait three weeks and I get to have it in Wisconsin. So yeah, I mean, Ironman's just such a hard beast and like, you know, you can race all the halves you want, but like it's twice the distance, right? And you can do all of the long training days and stuff, but it's still, you're not going to do a full Ironman in training. Right. So like, that's why like it was it was really good for me to get out and do the distance again and get to race again. It had been so long, I felt like, since I really raced an Ironman. And a lot of it is just like, you know, like I was like, oh yeah, it's coming back to me now, like as I'm out there. But so I think, you know, it was a combination of a lot of things. And either way, I'm I am excited for Wisconsin, but uh I did talk to Hillary and with it being three weeks apart, I don't have to think about Wisconsin at all right now. I can just think about recovering, relaxing, and getting sleep and food in me for the next week. And then I'll shift gears and, and start thinking about Madison. So although I did order, there's this bakery in Madison that will mail order you their spicy cheese bread. And it's oh. amazing. And I usually get it when I go there to like get pumped for the race. Except one year when I went there, I ate like the whole loaf the day before the race. So I ordered it to myself now for this week for my like enjoyment rate like week to not have to worry about accidentally eating an entire loaf of like spicy garlic bread the day before I race because it's not like you the need most the ideal. non-spicy cheese bread for right before the race yes. right like maybe like <laughs> leave the spice out but yeah have the spice now and then just go for like mild cheese bread yeah. race week getting all the calories but no it recover well and and then time time puts everything into perspective right and 32 Ironmans dang that's a lot you got me beat by a lot <laughs> But speaking of kind of enjoying the journey and kind of, uh, that's what I've been trying to do. You know, like you still have to like enjoy the training and because in case, you know, in case things don't go super well on race day, I had a really, really enjoyable weekend of training. So can I, can I like prep? I don't know if I can follow up your race story with that, but let's hear um, it. Yeah. I want to hear all about it. Well, so I, I actually went to Cody, Wyoming, which 
it does not sound like a major place that you would go to for a training camp, but everyone should be going to Cody, Wyoming for training camps because this place is like fantastic, Alyssa. Like I was able to just drive there and they have this like gorgeous pool. Like it's amazing. Like Cody is a town of like 10,000 people. Like it's fairly small. It is like it's touristy. So I was able to get like an Airbnb and it's, it's on the way to Yellowstone park, but I went there specifically one for the pool. And then two, because there's this mountain pass near there on the chief Joseph scenic byway that has like a ton of switchbacks. And that is something I'm trying to work on heading into 70.3 worlds in Nice. So I went to Cody kind of to swim and to ride repeats on the switchbacks there. And Alyssa, this road was like, it was incredible. It was so beautiful, like painfully beautiful. And then it was like no traffic, like very little traffic and no, no other cyclists. I saw zero other cyclists, but the road surface was fantastic. The only thing that, um, you know, when you have a road like that, where it's low traffic, very scenic. Uh, the one downside was that I was kind of a scared about the wildlife. <laughs> like, and there are a lot of signs of for bears, like grizzly bears around there. And so my first repeat, I was actually thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, like this, it's too remote. Like where I wish there were more cars. Like, you know, what if I like every rock I'm like, is that a bear? Is that a grizzly bear? But luckily no bears like all day. I made it unscathed. I did not see any bears. Um, I probably was like probably a little bit like overreacting to like the signs and stuff, but, and I probably should have carried bear spray. Like that's very effective. And I just, I just forgot, you know, that kind of thing, but it's just, you know, there's so many things you have to bring when you go for a long training day and bear spray is not on the top of my triathlon And you checklist. don't want to like accidentally like mix up the bear spray with like your chapstick or something. I don't know. Like as you like pull it out of your pocket and you're not paying attention it's like to a what can it is. Like this big. It's, oh. like, <laughs> it's not in, like a little mace can or something. That's what I was picturing. Well, I have you ever seen a grizzly bear? But yeah. <laughs> you, you want like as big a kid as you possibly can. <laughs> your little like mace is good for a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you have in Charlottesville, though. No. Um, I again, I think my my fear was probably a little bit. It was like probably a little unwarranted, but it was one of those things. Like it was so beautiful that I was like thinking, I'm like, if I was a grizzly bear, I would totally live there. <laughs> if so. Haley was a grizzly, now I'm picturing you with like massive paws and like brown fur, and yeah. <laughs> but that sounds exciting, and I love that you are setting this tone, right? Getting, so you're having fun with the training. You're enjoying the process. You're getting to these beautiful places, but you're also making a conscious decision to like focus on these things that are like hard or scary or technical. And like, you don't know, right? Like it's how many times, you know, have we been doing races and seeing all sorts of things on courses, but it's like, shoot, like you don't know, you're going to make a special trip to go work on this. And I think it's going to pay off for you. Things. I hope so. And at least I could be on that start line knowing I did everything I possibly could. And I got to explore like a new area that was just beyond my backyard. Cody's about three hours away from Bozeman. So I think kind of that, you know, that kind of close enough that like you don't go there always because when you think about vacation or going somewhere, you're like, oh, I'm gonna go somewhere totally different and like far away or else you kind of do the, the training routes that you can get to right outside your front door. And so sometimes that like three hour away, you know, that kind of near enough 
uh, you know, area, you miss out on those. And I'm so glad I didn't miss out on Cody and I would definitely go back. I would go back just for a vacation. It was a beautiful place. And, um, yeah. So if anyone, and I, you know, I'm always a sucker for a good pool. So, um, if anyone wants a unusual training location, Cody, Wyoming, I I'm all for it. <laughs> there you go, everyone. You heard it here first on Iron Woman podcast. So, well, that does sound lovely. And, but Haley, we're going to move on to mailbags now. Are you ready for the mailbag questions? As long as there's no mailbags about grizzly bears, I'm ready. <laughs> so we are finishing up Maria's questions. We answered a couple of hers last week, and we have one more come in. And just a reminder, you can send in questions to the mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And she was asking about swimming for this one and if we've heard of the total immersion technique. So it's a little bit different from conventional techniques because they suggest lower underwater elbows, way less kicking, skating posture. Have we found this to be more effective? So Haley, in my expertise here, I'm I'm going to actually pass this off to you. <laughs> swimming, um, is, swimming is not going to be where, you know, I, I take the reins here. And, and I have heard of total immersion, but I don't think I know it well enough to speak to it. So I don't have any personal experience with the total immersion technique, but I have a lot of personal experience with swimming. And I did spend some time on the total immersion website, reading about some of the methodologies. And so I think I can offer a few thoughts. I would say first, I think that any methodology that gets you excited to swim, that makes you look forward to getting in the pool is probably good for your swimming. So if having some specific drills or videos to watch that will get you to spend more time in the pool, they'll probably help you get faster. My second thought is that the total immersion plans seem most targeted toward people learning to swim in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So if that's you, um, a total immersion camp or workshop could be a really good use of your time. However, I think that if you're already a proficient swimmer, I probably wouldn't suggest changing your technique to include low elbow swimming or less kick just to conform to this plan. I think pretty much all the best swimmers in the world are using high elbow stroke. And even if they aren't kicking much in a race, they definitely have the ability to kick very hard and probably do a fair amount of kicking in training. So I guess my answer is that it depends and you probably need to kind of assess your own swimming ability and see if a program like total immersion is right for you. And, and you can always try it. And if you don't like it, you can move on to something else. I love it. I love the first point, especially that, you know, it's worth trying, especially if it's getting you excited to get in the pool and be touching the water more, because I agree that that is like the number one at all times with swimming. And Haley, we have another question, and this came in from Katie, and she is interested in learning more about qualifying for pro cards, and so she wanted to know what the requirements are for qualifying, and is it different in Canada versus the U.S.? Um, and then part two is that if someone qualifies and races as a pro, how do they go about returning to the age group ranks? So we, we talked about qualifying as a pro for the U.S., quite a bit. You know, the USAT website has a lot of really good information on there. And, um, usually you qual- you get top three at a, um, age group race that has a like $20,000 prize purse. Yeah, it's 20. And it has to have a pro field of your gender. Yes. And so we did a little bit of investigation for the Canadian processes and Haley, what did we find out? 
Yeah, so we asked, actually asked our feisty intern, Ellen, because she is a Canadian pro. We're like, Ellen, how do professionals, you know, how do you qualify for your pro card in Canada? Because honestly, it wasn't something I'd ever researched. But their process is a little bit different. It sounds like they have to go through Triathlon Canada and receive an international competition card. And once you have that card, then you can fill out an application to race pro. So it's more, sounds a little bit more discretionary based on Triathlon Canada's decision on if they think you should get that international competition card and whether they approve your, um, your application. So I don't know if that, I mean, you probably could look into it more if you are looking, if you are a Canadian amateur who's looking to go pro, you can contact Triathlon Canada and I'm sure that they can give you a more cut and dried answer, but it sounds like it's a little bit more discretionary. And for part two of the question about how do you go returning to the age group ranks if you've raced as a pro? And I know that in the U.S., right? So um, say with our USAT pro licenses and pro like age group cards, they all run on a calendar year, right? So January 1st to December 31st. And so when you upgrade for the year, then you are in that category for the calendar year. And then the new year begins and you could go back, return to racing in the age group ranks as of, you know, January 1st. So you can't switch between during the year, but there's no like kind of waiting period or anything like that between racing as a pro and then returning to age group ranks. So theoretically you could race as a pro in December and then race as an age grouper in January under the USAT and WTC rules. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. 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 And then, um, but I, I do want to add like, so I've raced, I've done a couple like local triathlons that did not have a pro field and I still wanted to race them. And so I had to actually like, you know, pay the entry fee. And in one, one I did in Georgia, like I did actually, or someone told, said that I was a pro. So they took me and put me in like my own category. So I wasn't, you know, affecting the age group ranks. I've done another one where I think I was left in the age group ranks. Um, so sometimes there is an elite category. Sometimes you are just, I think in the age group ranks. And my personal thought on that is that I mean, I would, if I was running a local 5k and Shalane Flanagan, you know, pulled up, I would be, this is awesome. You know, like we might be in the same age group and, but heck, I would like to like, see how I compare to Shalane Flanagan, even if it's like, I'm a mile behind in a 5k. Right. So I think those are my personal thoughts on, on pros racing age group. I have no problem. I mean, I in a race that has a pro field race in the pro field, but if you want to go jump in your local race, I don't think it should stop you just because you've raced as a professional in, you know, in an Ironman. I agree. And, you know, you can always just do the courtesy of reaching out to the race director to let them know in case they have a precedent or something that they prefer or something like that. They might even comp your entry for you, um, you know, give you a little bit of like local press or an opportunity to meet some of the athletes and which can always help too. And you could take advantage of that. So I, but I agree that I think, you know, events without pro fields can be useful training tools and you just, you know, want to make sure you navigate that correctly. All right. And we do have an interview this week, Alyssa. 
Um, today on the show, we're talking to Nikki Luce. Nikki is a professional triathlete and former collegiate soccer player. She went pro in 2015 and had some early success before a breast cancer diagnosis in 2018 put her racing career on hold. Nikki won her race with cancer and came back to land her very first pro podium at Eagleman 70.3 earlier this year. We do want to give you a heads up that Nikki lives and trains in Dayton, Ohio, and we recorded this interview just one day after the shooting there earlier this month. We do talk about the shooting and its effect on Nikki's community. So if you're uncomfortable with that subject, we should suggest skipping ahead a few minutes into the interview. So we'll have that and our whole conversation with Nikki right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So this isn't really how we plan to start this interview, but since you live and train in Dayton, Ohio, and you're a big part of the community there, I believe you grew up in Dayton and you currently work in a local running store and coach the high school cross country team. So we're recording this interview on a Monday, just one day after the tragic shooting at an entertainment district in your city. And I just wanted to ask, how, how are you doing and how is the community doing? Um, you know, I, I woke up to the news yesterday morning and yeah, it's, it's shocking when I mean, you hear about things like this in our country, but when it's in your, in your backyard or in your own community, I guess for lack of a better phrase, it, it hits home. And I think, you know, you're still shuffling through all the information. And fortunately I don't have any friends or family that were directly impacted but Dayton's a small town and everyone, you know, there's a connection with everybody. So I, I do know people that have been affected and yeah, it's really unfortunate and very sad. And I think the community is still just trying to wrap their, wrap their head around what happened on Sunday morning, late sun or Sunday morning. So yeah, it's, uh, when you live in a small town and everybody has a connection to somebody and as the story unfolds, you realize that it's, it's closer to home than you realize. So yeah. I imagine everything is kind of still reeling and spinning. And as triathletes, we rely heavily on the community services like swimming pools, the roads, running trails, your local yeah. running store, bike shops and all of that. So I think we can kind of all relate to how a community tragedy really, you know, affects us as we are parts of the communities that we're in. So thank you, you know, for helping us kind of just 
bring that out into the open. And we at Iron Women do join you in the morning and the losses in, in Dayton and send our best there. So thank you. We do want to pivot to talk to you about your early days, though, in Dayton and your beginning in sports as a soccer player. So we've talked to quite a few women on this podcast who started their athletic careers as soccer players, and you were even an NCAA All-American at the University of Cincinnati. And so I have my own theories on soccer players turned triathletes where (laughs) I believe that soccer players actually make the best triathletes. So, you know, do you agree with me there? And like, what are your thoughts on kind of being able to use that soccer background and pivoting into, into triathlon? Well, I mean, I guess I should agree with you that soccer (laughs) players make the best triathletes, but I have to say there are many days I wish I had a background in swimming (laughs) versus soccer. Yeah. Go swimmers. Go swimmers. (laughs) Haley over here is on team, team swimmers. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of team swimmer, but that's okay. Um, No, I mean, I think just having, I mean, I started playing soccer when I, I mean, from a very early age when I could start walking, I was kicking a soccer ball around just following um, my family's footsteps. So I think just growing up, having a passion for sport and, and learning, you know, the aspects of team sport and and really my whole life through high school and college obviously was mostly focused on soccer with some running thrown in and some, and some other sports. But, um, that team aspect just really, I think prepares you for the hard work and the dedication and the determination, just getting into college, into a sport to then you learn that competitive spirit. And, and the biggest challenge for me is honestly going from a team sport to more of an individual sport. Um, but I will say the team sport and, and working hard, knowing that, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link on a team. And, and that really propelled me into sport later in life. So, and I think the aggressive nature of, of, um, of soccer too, you know, and it's, can be a little nitty and gritty at times. And yeah, I, I never, I, I didn't know what triathlon was in college. No idea. <laughs> I was focused on one thing. I was a soccer ball. So, yeah. Fair enough. You had some time and I believe you actually hung up your soccer cleats post-college to work as a traveling nurse. So at that point, did you think you were finished with competitive sports or did you know you'd always come back? Yeah, that's a good question. I think at the time I actually, I had always wanted to be a professional athlete and I I thought for sure, I, or I, I thought if I, if that were a possibility, it would be on the soccer field, but I went into nursing, as you said. And so I had a fifth year. So in my mind, it was, that was the next step was getting my degree, becoming a nurse. And at that time, when I graduated women's professional soccer teams, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So I had a few friends play overseas, but in my mind, it was okay. You're called, you know, you did your college thing. Now it's onto, onto other aspects of life that you couldn't do before. So I really, it was like the next thing. It was like, okay, I'll be a nurse. And I still, I I ran a marathon to stay fit. And then I I bought a bike and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And so it was more of just staying fit because that's all I knew for so long in my life. So to answer your question, I didn't really, it was just part of my lifestyle. It wasn't, okay, what can I do at the next level now? And, and it didn't, that didn't start to come to fruition until after a handful of years. And after I had my, my, um, experience in nursing, so and Nikki, so we read that a childhood friend challenged you to race an Ironman when you both <laughs> turned 30. So was it this kind of peer pressure that got you hooked on triathlon to start? So I actually had dabbled in triathlon. I did my first one in about 2005, and it was one of the um, Danskin women's triathlons. 
uh, out in Colorado when I was doing travel nursing. I had, I had a couple friends that were doing triathlon. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And I mean, honestly, I could swim one length of the pool at that time. I mean, I I could not swim. And so I had dabbled in it. And then my uh, the friend you're speaking of, uh, he was kind of getting into triathlon in, in Texas at the time. And then, I mean, I remember him calling me and he was doing a race in a couple of weeks. He's like, I need to get a bike. I was like, what? You don't have a bike? So then we moved, both moved back home at the same time. And, and it was, it was, it was kind of a joke, but he said, well, we can either get married at 30 or we could do an Ironman. I was like, we'll do an Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been my first one would have been in 2010. And, um, so yeah, he's kind of the one that got me into the, the longer distance, which then meant, uh, one of our mutual friends said, well, you guys don't know what you're doing. You need a coach. And, uh, that coach that I got in 2009, 2010 is still the coach I'm currently with. Um, and it just evolved really from, from that, taking that leap of faith to, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. So, you know, you hit the button and you're like, oh, okay, well now I got to figure it out. (laughs) All it takes, all it takes is that one friend but you started racing professionally in 2015. So what made you take that leap? So my, my coach, uh, Bob Duncan had a couple other professional athletes he was coaching at the time. And, and so, you know, I would follow them and I was having decent success. And as you know, having been a, an athlete all my life and a college athlete, you just can't lose that competitive spirit. So it was like, I wanted to do better. I wanted to do better. And, and I'd have some success. And then I realized like, Oh, I'm, kind of close to being able to qualify for my professional license. And, and a lot of people are, you know, grow with the sport involved. But honestly, at that time when I qualified, I was 34 when I qualified for my pro license. And so in my mind, it was, well, I'm not getting any younger, so I'm just going to take this leap of faith. And it was just wanting to compete at that next level, really, like I had in college. I mean, I remember my favorite games were those big schools you played. And so when I was watching the professional field racing at the races I was at, I was like, I want to do that. I want to race with them. I want to race with the best and, and see, I think it brings out, you know, the most in you. And so I qualified at a challenge race, uh, Rancho Cordova when they had that in California. And I actually had no idea I was having as good of a race as I did. My friends, when I crossed the finish line had to tell me I had no idea. And then it was like, well, it's an opportunity. And, um, I'm going to take it and go with it. Cause you know, you just never know. So, and then after that, you became a regular on the North American Ironman and 70.3 circuits in 2016 and 2017, but things did change in 2018 when following an annual exam, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. So here you are mid thirties, super healthy. You just became a professional athlete and fulfilling that dream. What was it like to get that news? Uh, it threw me for a loop. Yeah, it it really did. I went in, it was the end of January in 2018 and I was getting ready to go to Hawaii to, uh, train with a friend and help with the foundation of hers. And like, I was leaving in a few days and the doctor said, well, have you felt this? You know, she felt a lump and I was like, no. And, And she said, I don't think it's a big deal, but I don't want you to slip through the cracks. You could probably get it taken care of in Hawaii, but we'll see if we can get you in here. And I was like, uh, my background is in nursing, obviously. And so I said, I'd, I'd rather take care of this here. And that was, uh, like uh, actually January 30th. I know exactly. Uh, two days later I had a mammogram a day after that I had a biopsy and four days after that I, t- I was told I had breast cancer. So it was so much of a whirlwind that you aren't really able to process it when all that's happening. I think of a lot of the processing came for me after the fact, after surgery, cause then, by mid-March, I was already having surgery. 
So it was a big whirlwind, but yeah, you're healthy. You feel like you're at the prime, you know, just kind of feeling like I'm figuring out my professional career. And then, um, yeah, it throws you for a loop. It really does. Were you able to keep triathlon and like exercise and, you know, being active? Did you kind of use that through the diagnosis, through the treatment and like how, you know, how active were you able to stay? And do you think that that was important part of your recovery? Definitely. I was able to mostly maintain my fitness up until my surgery, which was mid-March. So really like a month and a half. But there were days I think people underestimate the mental exhaustion that stress brings. And I'll never forget, I was on my trainer one day and my coach called and I just, I was like, I can't, I, I'm, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm exhausted. And I'm like, I'm trying to hammer through this workout. And he basically said, I won't use the explicit words he used, but you have cancer, get off your bike, take a shower and take a nap. You're exhausted. And so that mental exhaustion, I had to pay more attention to that, honestly, because it affected the physical aspects, but it honestly became my therapy. And, uh, after I was diagnosed in early February, went out for a long bike ride. It had snowed outside. I took my mountain bike out and I told my friends like, Hey, I'm not going to answer my phone. I told a few people like, don't worry. I'm okay. Went out with a friend and I biked for, uh, till our feet were frozen basically. And I, I looked at him and I'm like, this is the first time I've taken a deep breath in, you know, two weeks. And so I termed it my deep breath hour. So every day from then on, I took at least an hour a day where I would either go outside and walk. I would read, I would take an, I would check out from, from life. And that was my deep breath hour. And I, still try to do that. I'm not as good about it now, but up until my surgery, I made that a point and, uh, just to relieve all that stress. But after my surgery, I definitely had to take some time off. I actually was looking back before this podcast because my friends laughed at me. All I, I walked a ton. My workouts were walking and they said, you always walk slow. Why are you walking fast? And I'm like, this is my workout. This is what I can do. This is what I'm going to do. So I walked a bunch, but I took, I had to take quite a bit of time off. And how important was your relationship with your coach in this time? Because you, you had worked with the same coach for, for eight or nine years at that point. I mean, how, how, like for mentally and physically, did you, you know, rely on that relationship to be like, Hey, it's okay to take some time off. Like you're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, luckily we have a, have had a great relationship, coaching relationship, friendship, just because, um, well, he's part of the community I'm in with the running store. And so a lot of mutual friends. And when you have a long working relationship like that, it would, he's been through a lot of life with me. So he was probably the one that would remind me like, Hey, take a deep breath. It's okay. Like you don't have to hammer through this, like, you know, patience and, And, uh, so that was helpful. And I think it goes back to, you know, living in Dana, I have a great community. So the support I had from up and running at the running store and and my coach and my friends, and they'd say, what do you need? And I say, we'll come over and visit and we'll go for a walk. So yeah, he was, he was extremely supportive and in a situation that can be, you know, somewhat uncomfortable, you know, depending on the relationship you have with, you know, your friends and family. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty personal, you know, situation, but I, I, um, am very thankful for, all the support from him to my work, to my family. So, and what about with your doctors and, you know, the team of people behind you there, I imagine that while they're treating, you know, breast cancer patients frequently, it's not often that they get a professional athlete as a breast (laughs) cancer patient. Right. So 
I know there can be like such a wide spectrum of doctors and like their advice with how to stay active and things like that. Like, did you get any pushback or anything about trying to like maintain your fitness a little bit and stay, you know, not even like that you were thinking it was to maintain fitness, but as much as like the mental side of things. Right. And like, how did you kind of, you know, did you have to deal with any of that? And do you have any tips like given your own nursing background of how people can kind of approach their medical teams with, you know, explaining that this activity for people is part of, is going to be part of the healing process? Sure. I don't know that I got pushback as I got a lot of looks like you do what? And so I would say, can I run? Like, well, yeah. And I say, well, when I mean run, this is what I, you know, I would, I would find that I'd be very specific because they would kind of look at me with a raised eyebrow and the surgeon, (laughs) she would just kind of shake her head. But, you know, I honestly went with a team of doctors, um, out of IU in Indianapolis. And I went there because the team approach was amazing. And I felt right off the bat, it was a, a female team of doctors and I, they didn't necessarily understand what I did because it's, it's definitely out of a lot of people's wheelhouse, but they were open to listening to me and they were definitely willing to let me know, yes, you can do that. Could you wait an extra week for us? And I I was really open with them. And and I think I knew that it was a big deal. And so I wanted to do everything I could to get back as healthy as I, as I could. And I had a couple, um, side effects from the surgery that, that set me back. But the group of women doctors I had were, extremely supportive. And, and I think one of the big things with my decision of the type of surgery I had was them understanding why I wanted that surgery to have the double mastectomy because of my lifestyle. And I, from the first appointment, they were a hundred percent supportive of what was best for me in my life. But I did get a lot of raised eyebrows and, and curiosity. So, but now they ask how my racing is, send us pictures and, uh, I keep in touch with all of them. So yeah. So you've blogged about navigating the options that were given to you as a, as a newly diagnosed woman with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And like you just said, you ultimately decided on a double mastectomy without reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about that decision? Sure. So, and that's so part of why I am an open book about talking about it is when I was trying to do research and decide what was going to be best for me, it was really hard to find other women in their thirties that had a similar type of cancer diagnosis and opted for the same surgery that I did. And so I hope to be that voice if, uh, if another female is listening that is, to, oh, somebody else did that. Maybe I can ask her. And, and it was really hard to find women that had chosen the same option as me so I could talk to them about it. For me, and it was obviously it's a personal decision and, and everyone, what's best for me is obviously not always, you know, the right decision for somebody else. But I, after reading and my background, I just, I honestly just wanted the cancer crap out of me and I didn't want anything else in me. I wanted one surgery and a lot of the ways that they can do, um, reconstructive surgery, just, I knew would set me back even more. And I just really honestly wanted my healthy body back. And my cancer was considered stage zero, which in most instances you would be able to do a lumpectomy, but given my athletic frame and my small chest size, that wasn't an option. It was, um, I would need to have a mastectomy. And then I opted to have a double just because I wasn't going to do reconstructive surgery or a prosthetic. And, um, I guess I, I'm a bit of a minimalist and, um, 
it just seemed like the best decision for me. And it's the one decision throughout my entire cancer journey that I've never, ever regretted. And I'm extremely happy with my decision. And I think part of that is everyone around me was supportive of, of my decision too. And yeah, given a small body frame, that was, that was what, you know, my options were. And I, uh, I just didn't want to put fake stuff in me and not to say that's wrong, but I didn't want the potential side effects. And I wanted to get back to doing what I love to do. So I had the, the one surgery and I haven't looked back. And so that surgery was in March of 2018 And, Mm -hmm. you know, going into that and kind of in the days after, were you confident that you'd be making a full return to professional triathlon? In the moment, yes. In hindsight, I think I probably had days where I wasn't 100% sure. I developed something called cording, um, and I couldn't honestly lift my arms above 90 degrees because of all the scar tissue that built up from like my chest wall all the way down to my wrist. So, uh, my main form of exercise was walking and PT. Like my exercise was going to physical therapy three times a week, trying to break up all that. I mean, I remember getting in the pool and thinking like, how am I going to even put my arm over my head? And I would hold onto the kickboard and I would kick, but you're so focused on what you can do at that point that I don't think I, I looked at the the long term, will I get back to racing? It was, I want to get back to racing. And today I can walk. So I'm going to walk today. I can lift my arms 90 degrees and I can do my PT exercises. I can go get in the pool and it's no secret. Swimming is not my forte. So I said, well, I'll get in the pool and I'll hold my kickboard and I will kick until I can't kick anymore. So I think at the point I was so focused on what I could do to get back, you know, having my body back. But now when I look back on that journey, I think to myself, like, why, I, how did I, you're so entrenched in the moment. I didn't let myself think about that. I think it's looking back on it now, though, from the outside looking in, it's, uh, I I feel extremely lucky. Um, I think it's the same way somebody asked me if I was ever afraid I was going to die. And in the moment, no, I never thought of it. But post, when all the dust settles, that's the stuff you start thinking about. And Nikki, earlier this year in June, 2019, you finished third at Ironman 70.3 Eagle Man, your first pro podium result. Now that you're racing as a breast cancer survivor, has your outlook on training, racing, and even your own results changed? Oh, wow. That was a dream come true that day. One that I've, I've thought about. I mean, ever since you start racing, right? You want, you want to find those steps. Uh, I'm extremely thankful. I think a bad day of training doesn't get under my skin. Maybe like it once did. It's like, okay, take a deep breath. Like you get through this. I will say that first finish line, uh, would have been at multi-sport Canada a year ago. I raced about six months after my surgery and, and just getting back to doing what I love and, and crossing that finish line, uh, was, it was a huge step. And then at Eagle man, finding that fitness level again, and that confidence to know that I'm back better than I was before was just a huge turning point for me. But yeah, no, a day doesn't go by. People ask how my training is and I say I'm healthy. And so it's great. I imagine that had to have been a pretty huge moment for your coach as well. Having been there with you, you know, 
a professional triathlon career watching that evolve over the last 10 years as it is, let alone, <laughs> you know, overcoming this in the last, you know, year and a half is, is a pretty special moment. I bet between you guys. It was, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the course of my career. Uh, just, you know, personal life and, and professional triathlon life. And, uh, I notoriously have never had a good race there. So he really did not want me to go. And I was determined. It's one of my absolute favorite races. I have an amazing homestay there that have become great family friends. And I was determined. I'm like, I'm going back this year. I had to miss it last year. I'm not missing it. And I will have a good race. So I kind of had to like, it's like, he's never going to let me race here again if I don't have a good day. So, And then when the, when the swim was called off, you were probably like, this is it. This is the sign too. <laughs> like yeah. I got to go for this. Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, the swimming is definitely my, my weak link, but I will say I, that time trail start, that's no joke. I honestly almost want to say it's harder to race that way than without a swim. And I'm not a swimmer. So it definitely changes the game mentally a lot. And I, I mean, it does, it changes it entirely, right. To take away mm-hmm. one of the sports, but yeah, it was, it's even sweeter for the rest of us too to have seen you on that day. And like, oh, you, thank you, I know that, um, Eagle man is like, it's a bad habit. So hopefully you'll keep coming <laughs> back now. So I love that race. too. I, I love it. I love it too. It's, it's a great little community. So so Nikki, where else, you know, where else you, can we find you this year? Where can our listeners follow you online? Do you know your, the rest of your reschedule? Or are you kind of just like seeing how things go? No, I do. I, um, I'm kind of in my big build before my next set of races. I'll be doing uh, 70.3 Traverse city. And then, uh, two weeks after that, I'm gonna do Ironman Wisconsin. And then after Ironman Wisconsin, I'll be heading back to multi-sport Canada barrel man. So I have a big, mm-hmm uh, three race block coming up. So I think Alyssa will see you in Wisconsin. Yes. Yep. I will see you there. That's, that's a fun one. That's like a good habit though. So (laughs) you can start building that to counteract the Eagle man stuff, but yeah, (laughs) there you go. I'll see you there. And our listeners can follow us both there in about a month then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be here before you know it. Well, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your story. I think some people will definitely take the concept of deep breath hours away and hopefully be using that as a mental tool for some of their training and and life battles that they're going through too. So thanks again for coming on and we'll be talking again with you soon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacy Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacy Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Okay, Haley. Well, Nikki is actually racing again this weekend at Traverse City 70.3. So everyone listening can 
follow along and see how Nikki does now that you know some, some more of her backstory. That that Traverse City 70.3, I think it's a new one. It's a new race this year, and it looks beautiful. Like, I feel like it's I'm, also getting a lot of buzz. Like, I feel like I don't know if a lot of people are racing there or a lot of people just I've been. Have you ever been to Traverse City? I actually have. Been I haven't. City. No. Is it as beautiful as they say? I, mean, I think the race sold out really quick. So hopefully one of our listeners can write into the mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and tell me if I'm right or not. I feel like there was a scary movie that was filmed there in Traverse City at one point. And so that's just a random fact that I feel like I learned when I went there. But it is quite beautiful. I mean, it's a lake like destination town, you know, and so it's a small town. It's right on Lake Michigan, I'm assuming. And it's it's just yeah, it's nice. It's like quaint, clean, nice air. Those are my memories. It's been a long time since I've been in Traverse City. You might have to go back, but we'll have to anxious. We'll watch this race anxiously and see if we need a very to add small this. airport. I remember that too. <laughs> we'll, we'll be cheering for Nikki and every, all the other pro women racing there. And then, yeah, I, I do want to know. I want to see. What, I want to see some of the what it's like and see if we need to add this to our list for future years. But um, and then we have one. We do want to thank everyone who who has contributed to our Patreon campaign. Um, that website is patreon.com forward slash live feisty if you want to join the community we're um you know thankful for all of your support keeps us keeps us going keeps us motivated keeps us coming up with great people to interview and we this week we have a special shout out to patron stephanie mitchell um thank you stephanie for supporting us and helping us you know do what we do but uh listen i think that's all I have for you this week. Hopefully you can go get some sleep, work on that jet lag and recover well. Thank you, Haley. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.